Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me on the mic hosting an episode where I share a recent reflection or story from my own life as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Tara Bosch. Tara made Canadian history by scaling her company to be the fastest growing CPG brand founded by a solo female founder ever. When a love affair with candy devolved into an unhealthy relationship with food, Tara became inspired by a conversation with her grandmother about the detrimental effects of sugar. She soon dropped out of college to fulfill her dream, to create the future of candy. Smart Sweets can now be found in 160,000 stores across the USA and Canada, with partners including Target, Kroger, and Costco. Scaling Smart Sweets to be the fastest growing CPG brand founded by a solo female founder in Canadian history, she landed a $360 million majority acquisition by TBG Capital four years after launching the company from her basement. As a leader, Tara is wildly passionate about empowering the next generation of entrepreneurs and believes their big impact-driven visions are needed more than ever before in the world. Leading her to create a first-of-its-kind initiative, which we will talk about today, Bold Beginnings. In addition to fostering connection and tailored support to entrepreneurs with big visions, Tara is working to normalize the feelings of self-doubt, imposter syndrome, and insecurities that all entrepreneurs face while putting funds back into the ecosystem, supporting women entrepreneurs to bring their visions and companies to scale. Publicly, Tara has been recognized for how she beat the statistics of women in entrepreneurship, not only by being a solo founder, but maintaining ownership of her brand, keeping gender parity on her board, and scaling a team that has always been 80% female identifying. She is the recipient of several entrepreneurial awards, including being named Canada's Most Powerful Woman Top 100 Award, Forbes 30 Under 30, Peter Thiel Fellow, and EY Emerging Entrepreneur of the Year. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Tara. Hey, Tara. Hey, so stoked to be joining you today. Thank you for being here. What an insane bio. You've done a lot. Yeah, it's been a fun adventure for sure. I love it. Well, before we get into your background and your journey, we do start every show with a bit of a fun question. So answer this however you'd like. But what is something new that you've learned in this past week that you can share with our audience? And it can be work-related or life-related. It's whatever you want. What I learned this week would be something that I'm continuing to learn, which would just be experiencing life through a toddler's eyes, how it makes you, brings you back down to this simple curiosity about life and thinking of questions and answering questions as they're asked, like, why is a leaf orange? And like, why does a leaf turn from red to orange in fall? And things that just really bring you back to the magic that is existing on the planet. I love that. Yeah, I I feel like it's so hard to understand what it's like to look through the lens of a child until you have one. You know, we always say like, we need to play more and we need to remember what it was like, but it's so hard until you really are living with one and raising one and they ask you those kinds of questions. 
Was there anything recently that your toddler said that you had to like research online because you didn't really know or that you had to come up with some crazy answer? Is there anything, does any example stand out from the past week or so? Yeah, I think it's just her curiosity about everything, you know, like asking why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? It just really like makes you pause and reflect and be like, wow, like that is actually pretty magical that somehow grass is green and somehow the sky is blue. It's really just in the simple questions. I feel like it comes up. I love that. Yeah. And especially with nature too, I find I'm someone where I don't always pay attention to the sky and the trees and the plants and the horizon and the smells. Like I'm just going from point A to point B. I get very used to my surroundings. I don't think about it anymore. And I feel like what's so cool about kids is they actually notice the little things. You know, they notice the shapes in the plants and they they can smell things. And they, whereas like adults, we just kind of like brush past it all. Yeah, 100% really grounds you in living in the present. Let's maybe take it back to when you were a kid, childhood. Like, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you, when you look back now, obviously you've been a very successful entrepreneur. Was that something you thought you wanted to do? Were you always building? Were you creative? Like walk me through those early years. Yeah. I always had ideas, but never believed I was capable of acting on them. You know, I was always watching Dragon's Den and Shark Tank and always writing down ideas. But at the same time, had a really unhealthy relationship with food that really impacted my body image and self-esteem. So I didn't believe I was ever capable of acting on an idea until I learned at the end of my teen years that it wasn't about restricting foods you love. It was just about making smarter choices. And once I had kind of learned that lesson and had the confidence that I could act on an idea, I acted on my first idea, which was a chalkboard and wall decal startup. It failed, but gave me the amazing golden nuggets of knowledge and dipping my toes into things like manufacturing for the first time that led to be really helpful when my next idea came up, which was Smart Sweets. Gotcha. That's amazing. I want to hear more about the timing of this. So you have ideas growing up through high school, watching Shark Tank Dragon's Den, like many of us. And then when did this first business start? this like wall decal business? When did that come together? When was that idea in college? Was that in high school? When did that happen? Yeah. So I was in my first year of college when I acted on that. That's amazing. And like what prompted that idea to walk me through? Like you said it failed. Obviously you took a lot of learnings from it. So I wouldn't necessarily call it a failure, but like how did that play out for you? Yeah. What was that journey like building that company? So building, building, I'm sorry, just to the journey, like building smart suites. No, no, for that first company of yours. So, oh, the first company. Yeah, like when yeah. you had that idea freshman year, what was what was that like? Like, you know, what made you want to start that company? What were those points that went well, that didn't go well? And then you said it was a failure. What ended up happening? Yeah, so had the confidence um, that I believed I was capable of at least taking the first step to act on an idea. And being a university student who was renting a basement suite where you can't damage the walls um, when you're decorating them, I thought, oh, wow, like maybe vinyl and chalkboard wall decals that were really cool, different shapes and quotes and stuff like that could appeal to people who were short-term renting places that they couldn't damage the walls. I acted on the idea and instead of going outwards and asking consumers what they wanted, I thought of the designs and then made them and then 
sold them. So that was my first mistake. It was not being obsessed with the consumer and it just didn't pick up a lot of traction. And then over a six month period, I just really realized that this the radical value proposition wasn't there. And so I ended up shutting it down, had many, many, many boxes of wall decals left over (laughs) with nowhere to go, but just made the decision at that point once I saw that, okay, this clearly is, is not resonating, that it just makes sense to stop. Totally. I think that's so important though, to have those early businesses where you learn those invaluable lessons, like being obsessive with customers and actually making sure there's a unique value prop there, right? Like you you need to start somewhere. And I think often like bootstrapping your way for those early businesses is really important. What did you end up doing? Have you liquidated those uh, that, all that inventory or like what did you end up doing with it? Is it still sitting in your garage somewhere? I ended up taking a lot of it and just gifting it. And then I ended up just donating the rest because it was like thousands of decals. <laughs> That's so funny. I had a similar situation happen. I I had a bunch of beads, like up until like six months ago, just like thousands and thousands of dollars of just beads. And you know, it's funny, like you have these early businesses and then you just don't know what to do with the leftover inventory. Totally. And then while you had this first idea, uh, freshman year of college, from my understanding, you were at the University of British Columbia. Why did you choose that school? Did they have a good entrepreneurship program? I know you ended up dropping out actually, but walk me through like that choice to go to that school in particular. And did it help you with the entrepreneurship work you wanted to do? You know, I was I was never athletic in school. I was never academically inclined. People were shocked that I even got into university. I had one teacher I remember tell me that once I got in, he had told me, you know, like university isn't for everyone. Basically saying like I don't think you should go to university. I think you should find something else to do. So, for me, I really didn't know what I was passionate about in life, but I got into that university, so I was like, okay, at that time, it makes sense to go try it out and see what I'm passionate about. And when I ended up going to university, I ended up not being passionate about anything that I was studying, which was perhaps the greatest blessing because it allowed me to very quickly cross things off the list that were unknowns of what I could be passionate about. So I ended up just really studying German at at university, taking a few German classes so I could speak German with my grandma, if nothing else from university. That's amazing. You were like, what's the one thing I know for sure will be helpful? <laughs> what were some of those early you know, career paths or majors that you like knocked off your list that you thought maybe you'd want to do? Because it sounds like you didn't know entrepreneurship was the thing, even though you love Shark Tank and Dragon's Den and you ended up pursuing this idea. You, it wasn't like immediately obvious to you that you should be going that path. Yeah, totally. So once I realized I really wasn't passionate about anything I was studying, then I thought maybe like people and culture and HR was something I was passionate about. And so I wasn't in business school there. I was in the arts department and you can't take business classes if you're in the arts department. So I went and volunteered with beach cleanup organization called Surf Riders and began leading all of their HR staff. And so that was kind of the path that I felt most lit up by, by anything that I had tried. So I started just trying to learn more about that world. Totally. And how did you like that role? So uh, yeah, you you were doing HR at Surfrider. Did you like the nonprofit world? Did you like the HR world? Obviously, you ended up having this amazing idea, which you pursued. But do you feel like if you didn't have the idea for Smart Suites, that maybe you would have actually gone down that route, like working for a nonprofit or working in HR? 
Yeah, there's, I think, much like in a relationship where so many people are sometimes just like, when you find like the person that you want to be with and like you just look back on everything else and see how like it wasn't meant for you. For me, when I was in that world, I was really excited by it. I was passionate about it, but it wasn't like a visceral gut thing where I was like, I feel called to do this. Mm. Whereas when I had the idea for Smart Suites and the impact that it could create in the world, I realized it was this visceral pull where I felt like for the first time in my life ever, I had such a clear, strong sense of purpose that the world was pulling me towards. So it was a very different feeling. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you could, you you were so excited about this, you had no choice but to do it. I love that analogy with relationships too. You look back and you're like, oh, nothing else would have been nearly as good. Like I didn't want to settle. This is like the thing you were meant to do. So when did this idea come about during college? Because you know, you ended up getting, you know, a Teal Fellowship, which is amazing. And for those who don't know, that's funding from Peter Teal to basically support college dropouts with whatever business idea they have. So when did that happen for you? When did you have this idea? And then when did you get the fellowship? And then when did you drop out? Walk me through that timeline. Yeah. So in 2015, I was at my grandmother's house. who's was like my best friend in the world. And she shared with me that she regretted having so much sugar, especially from candy, which we had enjoyed so much together over the years and both had like such a sweet tooth because of how it made her feel. For me, that was my moment. I was like, wow, like you can truly go your whole life feeling bad about yourself because of what you're putting in your body. And so in my mind, I was like, well, why can't you feel good about candy? And that really led me down the rabbit hole of excess sugar consumption globally and in North America and really the silent epidemic it is. Food manufacturers use something called the bliss point to add as much fat, sugar, and salt to foods as possible to make them as addicting as they can be. And then oftentimes they're going and marketing those to children. Fruit Loops is a great example of that. Everything about that product was designed intentionally to become addicting. That really ignited my quest to start a mission to kick sugar and keep candy and at a vision level become the global leader in revolutionizing candy. The thought was really, if we can successfully kick sugar out of the candy aisle, which is the most sugar-packed vertical in the grocery store, then it's making a much larger statement about why is there so much added sugar in our foods today? It's amazing. That's a pretty bold statement and a really important vertical, like you said, to be tackling. What made you decide you wanted to start a candy company versus going and working for one of these you know, big companies and helping them think about it differently or writing about this issue and talking about food and health and maybe going and getting like a master's in public health, like starting a candy company is such a big undertaking. What made you want to go that route as opposed to any of the other routes? Yeah, I think it was just seeing that this didn't exist in the world. There was no such thing as low sugar candy. And so for me, it wasn't even a thought. It was like, okay, well then I, I have to create this. Yeah, it really wasn't even a thought of like, going other routes or stuff, I was like, okay, I have to create this to create accessibility in the world for people to this. I love that. And so did you start building it while you were in school? Did you drop out right away? When did that all come together in terms of like transitioning from idea to like full-time working on it? 
Yeah, so it was in June of 2015. So it just was kind of starting the summer season. And right as I got the idea, I decided I was going to drop out of college and just go all in. I had such a visceral pull. When I was in college, my grades were like, were so poor. I would probably would have ended up failing out of college anyways. But for me, it wasn't even a question. I was like, you know, I don't want to live with any what ifs when I'm 90 years old sitting in my rocking chair. And so I'm going to put all of myself into this. And if it doesn't work out, the worst case scenario is couch surfing at some friends' houses, maybe for a while. I love that boldness. I think that's also what's so important when like young people tackle things is like they have all the time in the world. There's no, usually no kids, no partner, and they don't have society telling them that they can't do it. They just go for it. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned in your bio, which I think is really important is how you did struggle with like different forms of self-doubt and imposter syndrome, I imagine, throughout the journey. Obviously, in this instant when you like dove in, like you didn't experience that because you did it. Were there moments, at least in those like early days when you started your company where you struggled with, can I do this? Should I do this? Or did you feel like this sort of fearlessness of like, this needs to exist. I have no doubt. And I'm just going to go for it. Like walk me through sort of like the mental state during those early days. Yeah. When I had the idea, I definitely had imposter syndrome. For me, I was always very clear and confident in the vision that this needed to exist in the world. But the struggle every single day was waking up and convincing myself that I am capable, that uh, getting past the wall and the shadows of self-doubt and insecurities that can be really paralyzing and feeling like an imposter, like who am I to be bringing this to life? You know, all all those things that flooded my mind daily so much so that I was like, okay, I know that in order to keep having the ability to put one foot in front of the other every day, I'm going to have to flood my mind with what I ended up calling mind fuel. And it was like a, a huge cultural thing at our company so that I convince myself every single day that I am capable, even for if it's for a short moment, so that I can take that step forward. So every single day I was like having those cheesy quotes on my mirrors, on my fridge, on my dresser, like everywhere, just really clinging to anything to convince myself that somehow I actually am capable if I just move forward slowly by slowly. I love that. Tell me more about, so it sounds like this mind fuel is like the quotes and the words of affirmation getting you to believe in yourself. What is, what was mind fuel like at your company? Tell me a little more about that. Cause as you're saying that I'm like, oh, I think we all need to adopt more of that (laughs) because it can be so easy to like feel like an imposter, feel scared and just not take action. Like you said. So what was the mind fuel like? Yeah, definitely. The mind feel, it's really the same idea as like, we feel as good, we feel only as good as the foods we're putting in our body. So the same concept with what we're putting in our mind. So at the company, um, it really was about on a weekly basis in our candy gram, I would always have a section on mind fuel that included different things. And then on a daily basis, it looked just like a lot of how we showed up in our day-to-day and having different quotes around the office and having in one-on-ones really grounding with like being capable and and that sort of thing. So it culturally not being self-deprecating to oneself if someone saw someone else was being lifting them up, 
just really, I think, being open about how important and critical it was for us to infuse our brains with the nuggets to believe that we can. And that really allowed us to like rocket through all the walls that we had to bang down along the way. Yeah, that's huge. I think more people need to be more forward about that because it is so hard. And acknowledging that upfront is, I think, brings out a different level of vulnerability in people. So they can say when they're struggling to believe in themselves, which is amazing. Yeah. You have this idea for Smart Suites. You drop out of school immediately. And then from my understanding, you were incubating this at the next big thing. And you were like a venture in residence. Walk me through what that was like. What was that experience like? It sounds like that was a different fellowship. And then the Teal Fellowship was another one. What were these like programs like for you? How did you find out about them? How were they helpful? Tell me a little bit more about both of those. Yeah. So that was an amazing accelerator to be part of because it took me out of my kitchen recipe testing into an environment where I was surrounded by other peers that were my age also taking a chance on themselves and building something in the world. So it really gave me the peers that, you know, if I was crying one day, I could I could look beside me and then have someone say, don't worry, I was crying last week. And it just gave me a sense of solitude and not being alone on the journey, which is a really scary, lonely journey when you're embarking on something creating something in the world that hasn't existed before and starting a company. So that was the most powerful thing was really, it just made me feel like I wasn't alone. Yeah, that's everything. I mean, community is so essential. And, you know, especially when you're a solo founder, especially when you're young, especially when you're a woman, I mean, you had a lot of things like going against you. And to have this community of people that could understand in different ways how hard it was, that must have been everything. And it sounds like they also gave you the confidence, like you can do it. And so you scale smart suites. Obviously, you know, I would say most people listening to this have seen you all at their local grocery store, their supermarket. And then you had this amazing acquisition. Tell me how that acquisition came together. Like you've been scaling this. You only were building it for four years, which is a very, very short amount of time considering how most how long it takes for most companies to exit. How did that acquisition come together? Like, what was that like? Yeah, you know, from day one of building Smart Suites, in my mind, I always knew that at some point I wanted to partner with a larger company to accelerate the pace at which we can access manufacturing and distribution systems and ultimately accelerate the pace of achieving our vision, which is to become the global leader in revolutionizing candy. That was really the lens that I looked at everything with in scaling the company. It was how can I best serve the mission and where we are today. And when we got to the point of crossing over the 100 million revenue threshold and then really pausing and considering, you know, okay, how do we get from 100 to 200 to 300 to 400 million in annual revenue? That was the first time for me, whereas the CEO, I no longer felt like I could see around the bend. And so I was like, okay, I think I think it makes sense for me to move into serving, into, into marketing and innovation and, and that sort of thing. But leading the helm, I feel like to serve the mission, we need to find someone who's sitting around the bend. So that was kind of the first step in identifying that. And then simultaneously, the low sugar category was start was clearly here to stay and starting to grow. And I really felt like, okay, we need to put more fuel into the rocket ship, into 
really be the people that are not just the first movers, but are going to be the consistent category leaders in scaling this around the world. So those two things together really kind of informed the timing of that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really interesting too, that you knew so early on that you wanted to bring on a partner at some point. I think a lot of the times when you build companies and you're on the younger end, you don't always think about the exit. Like when you're thinking about your like, you know, wall business, like you were like, I don't know, I'm just going to like see and see who buys it and see what that, but you didn't think about maybe like, who would want to buy this? How would I scale this? You know, like usually it takes, you know, experience in the industry to know like, okay, the only way anyone makes money here is if there is an exit. So that's really impressive that you knew early on. Yeah. I think having clarity is a really powerful thing. I think having clarity from day one about what you want, starting at the top down with your vision, but how you want to achieve that vision is really important. Like, do you want to run the company privately forever? Do you want to IPO? Do you want to have an acquisition, not just for the company's vision, but also for yourself and your team members and and what you envision your life looking like after that? And for me, knowing also that I had that clarity that an acquisition would make sense at some point, it also allowed me to like pour myself into the company in a really, really intense way that I knew wasn't going to be sustainable forever, but it allowed us to get to where we needed to be. Absolutely. You like kind of knew there would be an end date at some point because you had that in mind. So it was just like grinding until then, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Walk me through this Bold Beginnings program and this initiative that you all just launched. It sounds really fantastic. And I imagine this is in response to this big acquisition and this big exit. And now you're like, okay, how do I want to give back? How do I want to inspire the next generation? So walk me through like how you thought of this program and how it's going and what you all are focused on. Yeah, totally. So yeah, Bold Beginnings really exists in the world to empower women with big ideas to know that they're limitless in what they can create. And it really came from, you know, my own journey when I was starting out and I was in my basement reading all the books and podcasts and stuff. It was often men. It mo- all of the books and stuff I was reading was men. And while I really got a lot of knowledge and stuff, there was no one that I was reading their journey that I aspired to have a similar one and really related to and felt like I could look in them and be like, oh, I see parts of myself in them. So if they did it, that means I can too. And paired with that imposter syndrome, for me, you know, it wasn't something that I really knew that everyone had. And it was something that I struggled with my whole journey, whether it was delivering to retailers for my Honda Fit hatchback when I just launched or leading a team of 80 plus people about to hop on a Zoom call with them being like, what am I possibly going to say to inspire these people? Like, who am I? And so I really, really wanted to create something that amplified the conversation and just normalized the feelings of self-doubt and insecurity and imposter syndrome that everyone goes through. And I think women go through in a much more amplified way. And so in hopes that the next generation of entrepreneurs can see that, oh, if, you know, if she felt those feelings, then it's fine for me to feel them too. It doesn't mean anything about myself or if I'm capable of this. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so important. And to have this lens also of giving back so early on in your 
career. I mean, you've obviously done so much. You had this big exit, but to want to start giving back already, I think is absolutely incredible. And we're going to see the seeds of this program really, I think, make a big difference. If someone's listening to this now and they're a woman and they have a big idea, like how can they get involved with the initiative? What do you recommend they do? Who is the exact woman you're targeting? Because there's a lot of ways that women want to implement their big ideas, whether they're starting a company or a nonprofit or a venture fund or a media organization or a podcast. Like who is the woman you're targeting? And if they're listening to this, how can they get involved? Totally. So yeah, so Bold Beginnings, um, the best way to get involved. So Bold Beginnings is an annual initiative. So I just had our first cohort launch. It's a year-long program and applications are open year-round as well. So in um, late summer next year, we'll begin the review for the next cohort of Bold Beginnings. But to get involved, you can go to boldbeginnings.com and you can share your vision. Uh, The applications are open year round um, and will be reviewed at the end of next summer. And if there's something in Bold Beginnings that doesn't exist that uh, a woman would like to see, we'd love to hear your feedback as well through the website. That's amazing. And you guys give grants to the folks that are selected, right? Like what are all the offerings? You give them a 25K grant, I believe, and lots of support and community and what are other pieces? Yeah, the 25K strings free cash is obviously really helpful. That's the monetary part of it. But the real support really lies in creating a lot of the women in this year's cohort. There's an in-person portion of Bold Beginnings. And they really said that it felt like they were at a founder's sleepover with girlfriends they had known for 10 years. So it like really creates that instant connection to other amazing women creating big ideas in the world that you now have as allies on your journey, as well as the other aspect of Bold Beginnings is really creating intimate, tailored support. And so myself and the other leaders that built Smart Suites, really supporting the founders as they're firefighting and what they go through rather than having more generalized workshops and things like that. So, you know, that looks like If someone is having an operations fire happening at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday, they can text me and we'll be on a call two hours later working through it together. So by design, it's meant to feel really intimate and holistically just really empower the women and lift them up on their journeys. I love that. I feel like so many people right now are listening to this being like, oh my God, I wish I had that when I was building. (laughs) That's amazing. What's next for you and like Smart Suites and Bold Beginnings and, and your journey, you know, let's say in the next five years? Are there any things that you're really excited about and you're really hoping to bring to the world? Yeah. You know, I think on the smart suites front, it's interesting because as far as we've come, it still feels like it's day one in the sense that we still are in North America. And so at a global level, we have so far to go. And so that is really exciting for me. What I'm most passionate about in my life now is really empowering other women. And so Bold Beginnings is a big part of that. I also um, support and do a lot of investing and and an advisor to women companies and lifting them up. But I also have a toddler. And so just being present and really showing up for her in the way that I want to is such a gift to have the time to do that now. Other than that, you know, I like to always say that the universe is the ultimate guide. And so, you know, what the universe brings and how I can best serve next is 
yet to be seen too. So I don't know. I don't know what five years from now looks like. I love that attitude. And just like let trusting in the universe. It's already done great things for you, right? Like trusting yourself and the universe that it's all going to keep working out. I really do commend you for all the work you're doing to give back and also hopefully enjoying being a mom. Because like, that's so much I feel like what a lot of, at least I think about working hard now is I'm going to work so hard now before I have kids so that when I do have kids, I can take a day off here and there. Like I can spend quality time as opposed to working through it all. So I think that's, you should, you know, reap in that because you've worked so hard. Yeah, no, 100%. That was part of my intentionality as well was, you know, what is freedom? It's freedom is having the time and energy to choose where you want to allocate it. And and being a mom, being a mom in general takes a lot of energy from you and time. So I think having the ability to dictate as much time and energy as you can is like the biggest gift of all. Absolutely. What's your, what's your daughter's name? Willa. Oh my God. That's so cute. Well, Well, I could keep asking you a bunch of questions, but I want to be mindful of your time. So I just have one final one for you. We ask all our guests this. If there is one piece of advice that you could give to every 20-something, regardless of whether or not they're entrepreneurial, what is that one piece of advice that you would give them? You know, the thing that I would say is whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. And so really grounding yourself and having clarity in what it is that you want to create in your life and then supporting yourself in each and every day to convince your subconscious that you actually can do it um, is so like infinitely powerful. And the other thing I would say just on that, and it's something I tell my toddler Willa every day as well is just that you're so infinitely capable and divinely blessed. I love that line. I feel like that's a mantra you need to like repeat to yourself all the time. Even putting that up on like a post-it note or a, a wall or something. Thank you so much for being here, Tara. This has been awesome. I really appreciate it and excited to uh, have everyone look into Bold Beginnings and go buy Smart Sweets and support you on your journey. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Erica. It was amazing to meet you and ditto. So excited for you and what you're creating in the world. I'm grateful to have been connected. Thank you so much, Tara. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20 Something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20 Something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts.